would you just place your hand over your heart this morning and let the Lord know that you give everything to him, everything inside of your heart today. Just say, Lord, it belongs to you. You know, sometimes we are like a, a host that doesn't want to show our visitors our bedroom, you know, because we didn't make the bed, so we closed the door, and kids didn't make their bed, so we closed their door, and pretty soon you know we have our friends over and all they see is the living room. We don't want, maybe don't even go into the kitchen because we might have dishes there. Sometimes we do that with God in our hearts. We say, God, I just want you to see me on Sunday where I put the best clothes on and make myself to look the best, Lord, but I don't want you to see me on Monday morning in traffic or Friday after a long week. But right now with your hand over your heart, say, Jesus, it all belongs to you. 24-7, come on, it all belongs to you. If you have today any sin in your heart, just ask God to forgive you right now. Anything that you've done uh, that you regret and that you haven't repented for, do so right now. Just say, Father, forgive me in the name of Jesus for the language that I've used, for things I've looked at, maybe things I've done. Forgive me. Name it out. Don't, don't be afraid. God can handle it. He already knows. He's just waiting for you to confess it. What about fearful things, worryful, worryful things? Anybody need to confess worry to the Lord? Do that right now, Lord. Give you all my worries. Give you all my fears, anxieties, things that I'm doubtful over. I trust you today, God. My heart belongs to you. A few moments can change your life right now. Let God into your heart. Let him cleanse you. Let him empower you. Let him fill you. Let him have you, all of you today, right now. We're going to sing it again. You've captured my heart. And as we do, would you sing it with that heart today? A heart fully surrendered to him. A pure heart. A heart that's courageous, full of faith. You've captured my heart. Yes, you have. There's no end to the depths of your love. You've captured my heart. of your love if you believe his love is limitless give it up for him today as you say amen Woo! come on somebody we love you Lord you may be seated in the house of God thank you for coming and opening up your hearts with us how many felt the presence of the Lord right there that's what I love about our church is that we make time for God for, from beginning to end sometimes you go to churches and you wonder where, where's God where, where do we make time for him at Everybody's welcome except the Holy Spirit. Everything's got to be on a certain schedule, done a certain way, and sometimes it just feels like you're going to the movies or going to a show or something. But how many know when you come to this church, you're going to experience God, you're going to experience His love, and it's like a bank, y'all. What you get out of it is going to be what you put into it. I can't go to my bank today and withdraw a million dollars. How many know I would like to do that? I would like to do that, but the number one reason why I can't go to my bank today and withdraw a million dollars is because what? I've never put that in. I've never made that deposit. So you may be looking at your friend right now sitting next to you, standing next to you in this church, and they're withdrawing a million dollars worth of blessing right now. And you're wondering, man, what's going on? Is God just playing favorites? No, it's because they've made a deposit of a million dollars worth of their heart into the kingdom. 
See, whatever you give into the kingdom, you're going to receive back. That's why I get emotional over God, you know? Sometimes uh, we have people come and visit the church, and they say, man, you guys are so loud, and you preach so loud, and you sing so loud, you clap too much, and all those things. I'm used to, you know, St. Saint, Saint, uh, Viator or whatever Catholic church, St. Pascal's, you know, it's real quiet when we walk in there. And I go, well, hey, is that how you are when you go to a Cubs game? Is a Cubs game like St. Viator on Sunday? You know, especially if they're winning? Come on, somebody. I mean, there's some noise going on in that stadium. I used to be able to ride my bike down that road. I, you know, I don't do it so, so much anymore, but down Addison, because I live on Addison-Pulaski, and the games would be going on, man. It, you could hear it all the way down the street, you know. And, and, and here's the thing. Our Jesus is on the winning side every time. It's not like him and the devil are arm wrestling back and forth. When he said it was finished, it's finished. Amen. It's, it's, it's not today, WWF, and then on one side is Jesus, and on the other corner is Satan, and then they're yelling at each other, WWF style. No, the Bible says he has already stomped on him. He's under our feet in Jesus' name. So that's why we shout, and that's why we do all that. And then talking about being emotional, man, I gave God my heart, and I became one of the most emotional people you would ever have met. And still to this day, I carry that with me. You know, I get teary-eyed when I think about how good God's been in my life. I'm, I'm sympathetic towards other people's hurts where I didn't even care before. All of those things happen when God changed my heart. So if you're like, man, I've never felt that before, give God your heart and watch him, you know, turn on the, the, the fountain of your tears every now and then. How many have had that happen? And just, you just sometimes you just wonder, man, is it ever going to shut off? I mean, I've been crying and crying in God's presence before. I've laughed in his presence before. And sometimes you get to this, this point, almost like Jeremiah, it's too much, God. It's too much. You know, I don't want to just be all emotional all the time. And then sometimes I feel like the Lord will back off because, you know, he's a gentleman. He's not going to force his way upon us. But uh, it's always for our good. And I speak this a lot to people in their middle ages because, you know, I'm getting older. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I'm 42. I've got the gray hairs. And I, by God's grace, have earned every one of them. And, and here... Here I am now with all of these different emotions. They say, like, my testosterone's going down, and guys like Joe Rogan getting the testosterone shots, and it's real popular for guys in my age group who want to live an adrenaline-filled life to keep getting those shots and those things. And then uh, other, other people deal with depression and midlife crises and all that. Let me tell you what you need in your middle age. You need a midlife Christ encounter. That's what we need. We need midlife Christ encounters, man. And, and to get our adrenaline going again through the things of God. Because I'm telling you, as much as you love your job, it can just become a job to you. And I have a great job pastoring, but just like you, I got to check in, check out. I got to do, do certain things. And that can just lead to the, the, boredom, the boredom of life, you know, the same thing, the same thing. But when I invite God into everything that I do, whether I'm just driving to work, you know, putting on, you know, some tunes and just rocking out or listening to sermons or whether it's just making time with my family in God-centered ways, I'm telling you, I get just as excited about that. I feel just as uh, meaningful moments that I do flying in planes, like I took my kids out to a private airport, we flew in planes, wakeboarding, snowboard, whatever fun stuff, riding my bike really fast, you know, all of that I can find in Jesus. Because how many know your brain is just going to react to what your soul's happy about? And so if your soul is happy about Jesus, your brain's going to start releasing endorphins, going, come on, come on, come on, Joe's excited, Joe's excited. Don't you know that? See, some of you are waiting for your brain to tell you how you feel. Well, that's going to be a depressed life. 
You don't wake up and wait for your brain to tell you how to feel, friends. Wake up and tell your brain how to feel. Come on, it's time to get up, brain. Let's get moving. Let's get doing stuff. I'm excited today. I'm not waiting for my body to tell me how to feel. I'm going to tell my body how to feel. I'm going to say, you're going to be my servant today. I'm taking you to the, to the job with joy. I'm going to take you to the gym. I'm going to take you out with my family. And you will notice, I am telling you, you will notice a dynamic difference in your life. That's why I am not depressed. That's why I'm not going through things that the majority of my friends and age group go through. It is all glory to God. And if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. Amen? I just say that because he's captured my heart. He had me at God so loved. Amen. He had me at God so loved the world. That's where he had me at. Or another person said he had me at it's finished. Because when he said it's finished, that means I was done trying to figure it out on my own. I'm finished being my own self-made man because the best I did was become a self-made mess. How many have Jesus today in their heart? Amen. Amen. Let's go to Matthew chapter 20 and learn about being servants. Somebody say servant of all. Amen. We're going to learn about being the servant of all. Now, before we get into uh, Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 17, I just want to ask you, uh, are there any here that still use DVD players? If you do, would you raise your hand? Okay. I want to give this young lady with the red glasses a gift. Michael, I want to give you a gift, and I'll give you a gift, ma'am. I've got some DVD Bible lessons I just want to give out for free today. It's called The Truth Project. And I hope that it blesses you. My wife raised her hand because she's still a DVD person, but we don't have a DVD player anymore. And uh, how many grew up with VHSs? And then you had to switch to DVDs. And then some of you were cool and you got the Blu-rays. And now those are gone. And now everything is like on iTunes or Amazon and so forth and so on. Let them just pull another trick and there'll be another thing. You know, uh, and, and I don't know how they would because it's all digital now, but just watch them do it because about every 10 years they flip it on us. Uh, maybe the next thing's going to be virtual, you know, virtual. Everything's going to be virtual. Unless you're watching the 3D gla- with the 3D glasses, it's, you know, garbage. So by the time probably my wife goes to heaven, she'll probably have six different versions of Cinderella. You know, the, the VHS, the, the DVD, the Blu-ray, she's going to have all six asking me to keep up with all of them. And all the players, because each one has a special memory. I've tried to toss away those VHSs so many times. But in her mind, they are special. They are special. Do not mess with those DVDs or those VHSs from my wife. Now, enjoy those gifts. Please enjoy them. It's, a tooth, it's called The Truth Project. We used to do it around here, and I was waiting too long to do it again. And now it's all on uh, video, um, you know, your phones and stuff. Okay, so today we're going to talk about being the servant of all. But before we get into that, what I want us to see is Jesus talks about his crucifixion. So let's go to chapter 20, verse 17. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem on the way. He took the 12 aside and said to them, We are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. Underline that, highlight that, remember that. Mocked, flogged, and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. How many believe Jesus raised again? Amen. Now, this is what separates us from every other faith. I respect people from different religions, but this separates Christians from everybody else. 
Death has defeated every single human religious leader. All of them, all of them who said, I have a way to God. Here I am. I'm Buddha. I have a way to nirvana, you know, a peace with God. Or these gurus, I have a way to achieve, you know, um, um, rather, um, you know, that thing. I have a way to do that. Follow me. All of those people die. Muhammad, dead. All of them, dead, buried. Not only did Jesus die and rise again in a tremendous, miraculous fashion, but he told us he was going to do it. This is the third time he is now mentioning it to his disciples. How many think by the time it happens, they should be ready for it? But are they ready for it? No, it reminds me of my kids and the times that I take them to the store and I say, we're not buying you anything in this store. I'm just walking through the aisles. You're not getting anything. Right when we're in the parking lot. Now remember, you're not getting anything. We're just going into the store. As I'm holding their hands and the doors are opening, you're not getting anything. But yet somehow they forget and deny me as their father and act like they don't even hear me once they get into that store. Their ears can't hear me, their hands can't obey me, and, and they act as if I don't even exist. And I can relate to this as a father to my children. How many know God the Father can relate to us doing this to him? Though we may not have been there, we can relate to the disciples. Peter got so scared when it finally was going down, and Jesus is getting whipped and beaten, that he denied him three, three times, and on the third time, he denied him to a little girl and cussed and swore and said, I don't know that blankety-blank man. Leave me the blank alone. That's how bad it got for him. But yet Jesus is faithful to let them know, this is why I came. It's not that he's going to die like Braveheart as a good man for a good cause and he wished his life could have went on longer or Martin Luther King Jr. getting assassinated like, you know, that wasn't his intent that day was to take some bullets and die or, you know, JFK. Jesus is literally saying the opposite. I came to die. You start from Matthew chapter 1 and you work it all the way to the end. It's what he's talking about. It's, it's like he has a death wish. And rightfully so. Why does Jesus have a death wish? Because we have turned our back on him. We believe that stupid serpent over him from the garden, and he has come back to now make it right. And what are they going to do to him? Look at those three words again. They're going to mock him. They're going to mock our Lord and Savior. You see those uh, movies, the ones that's probably mo the one that's most famous is Passion of the Christ. And when we get into that part of our story, maybe I'll have some of those clips be played here. But they mock him. They strip him naked, if not totally naked, down to his underwear and, and, and whip him and then put on a, a robe and call him a king and start you know, pretending to bow down to him. They put a crown on his head, but not just any kind of crown, a crown of thorns so that when they push it, it causes it to sink into his flesh and blood is everywhere. And they punch him as they blindfold him and say, tell us who hits you if you're so smart, if you're really the son of the God, you know. And we can look at those awful sins that they did against him but, uh, and, and say we can't relate. Or we can look at it going, you know, it's part of our sin that put him there. That really we would do all the same if we were in the same position as the Roman soldiers. I know we would say, oh, I would be so different. No, we've all been deceived by sin and all sin is sin. If you've lied, 
You've lied to the face of God and mocked him just like those soldiers did. If you have abused your friend or abused someone and not treated them the way you wanted to be treated, that's just like you slapping Jesus, uh, flogging him. And if you have cursed, the Bible says, somebody out or hated somebody, you have literally done the act of a murderer. All of that Jesus has already taught us, hasn't he, from the Sermon on the Mount? And so even though we weren't the ones putting the nails in his hands, mocking him and, and flogging him and crucifying him, how many know we're just as responsible as those people? So we can relate to the disciples and their betrayals. One man was so scared when they came to arrest Jesus, we don't know what disciple it was. All that we know is he was the streaking disciple. Because it says when they grabbed his robe to get him, he said, you can take my robe, I'm going, Jack. And he ran away naked, the streaking disciple. That's how scared he was, he ran away naked. We can relate to those disciples. We can relate to the Roman soldiers, but guess what we're also supposed to relate to? Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your, come on, take up your cross and follow me. So we now are to look at the end of the story because we know it. How many have skipped ahead and understand how the story ends, right? We know how it ends. We're supposed to skip ahead and go, that's going to be me too. I've got to carry my cross. That means I might receive rejection. I might receive scorn. I might be mocked. And if I live at the wrong place at the wrong time, I actually might be crucified for my faith. Hence the reason why I wear this bracelet with the barbed wire reminding me of the persecuted church that I made a commitment to over seven years ago to pray for them as I pray for every meal. If you want one of these bracelets, you can just ask me or one of our leaders after church. We have plenty to give out for free. We can never forget the cost of following Jesus. As the old saying goes for the military, some gave, uh, some gave all. How does it go? All gave some, some gave all. We're all going to give something to get to heaven with Jesus. Are you guys listening to me? All gave some, and some gave all. As a Christian, I may not be suffering today in the same way they are in North Korea. There's literal concentration camps where Christians are in. I may not be suffering like they are in parts of China, in India, in the parts of the Middle East. We may not be there today, but we will suffer. We will be mocked. We will be ridiculed. As a matter of fact, get used to this because it hasn't really happened much yet, but you need to get used to it. Get used to them doxing you or, or stalking you in your church, finding my preaching, and then them putting you on the spot going, hey, do you agree with what he said about homosexuality? You, you say you go to this church we saw on your Facebook feed. You checked in here, and we watched one of his sermons, and he says that homosexuality is a sin. Do you agree? agree with that? Your job's on the line. Get ready for those kinds of things, for them to try to hunt you down, find out where do you really go to church, because the days of uh, the black and white, the good and evil in the church is really coming down uh, to this generation. I have never seen the divide more than I have right now. It is becoming clear who's on the side of the Lord. I mean, we have pastors that some of you have seen on, as you're tracking me on Facebook that are taking their own life. 
I mean, how far away from God can you be to blow, off, to blow your head off or hang yourself? Are you listening to me? How can Jesus be Lord and then you kill yourself? Nothing says you're the Lord of your life like suicide. And let me just talk to you right now. If you think taking your life is going to end the pain, you are just sending you to yourself to an, an eternity of misery and pain. So listen to me. If you do not like misery, if you do not like pain, do not end your life. Let us help you here today. Let us get you counseling. Let's do whatever it takes because you have a choice and it's up to you. Amen? And we're not going to let you blame it on your brain. No more than we're going to let the transgender person blame it on their brain. No more the person with an addiction blame it on their brain. You may have triggers in your brain, and we'll help you with that, and so will counseling, uh, professional counselors, but you won't go to heaven saying, my brain made me do it, you, and, and you won't be able to go to heaven saying, uh, the devil made me do it with the sins you've done. You'll go right to hell. Do you understand? Your flesh is weak, but your spirit is willing. Learn to live by your spirit. And then there's a lot of people here, listen, that you don't know when a bad day comes, and so you think you're a hot shot now, and then that bad day comes, and you kill yourself, and you're going to say, well, I don't know how it got to be this bad. That's because two years ago, you walked away from church, did things you weren't supposed to do, and now you found yourself in a place you never should have been. You guys hear my heart on that. So make sure you get right with God now and guard your heart and emotions, no matter what your cross is that you bear. You may bear a cross of hardship in this life. You know, you may have a catastrophe, a catastrophe happen in your life and have to get over it. That's true. You're going to have to get over certain things that are going to be painful in life. But you can't let that cross that you bear be an excuse to live defeated. Jesus bore the cross and, show us how, and showed us how to live in victory. If Jesus can bear the cross of his pain his shame that was brought on him. How many know you can bear your cross and be a disciple of Jesus? Amen. Let's keep going now. Verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus. That's going to be James and John's mother to ask Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked him a favor. Let me read that again. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked him, excuse me, a favor. How many know if the mama comes asking a favor, you got to pay attention? I mean, I could just imagine this mom coming with her two boys going, look, I'm going to ask Jesus this. Just come with me real quick. And then she's going to kneel down. And she comes to Jesus asking this precious uh, favor here. And he goes, what is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine might sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, two good things we learn about the mom, other than her being a little greedy about who's going to sit next to Jesus, what we learn positive about this is that, number one, she believed in a real kingdom coming. She did not think that we were just going to be departed souls in heaven becoming naked baby angels shooting arrows of love everywhere. She had a biblical worldview that taught her one day Jesus comes to earth. One day the kingdom comes to earth. One day we reign with Jesus. So the gospel train is coming one way or another. Choo-choo. You better get on that train before you get ran over by that train. So every knee is going to bow, whether it's willingly or a busted kneecap. You're going down on your knees. Can I hear an amen to that? You're going down on them knees one way or another. And so when we come to Jesus willingly and participate now, we get to rule and reign. So those who bow down get lifted up. Those who lift themselves up get struck down. Do you see the difference? 
You bow your knees now. Jesus, your king, I believe in you now. I serve you now. The Bible says you'll be lifted up. You'll be ruling and reigning with Christ. You shake your fist. Oh, you know, at God, oh, I don't like you. I don't like how you do stuff. It's unfair. I don't understand you, and I don't want to try to understand you. You'll get struck down. You hear what I'm saying? You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. You can run on for a long time, but sooner or later, he's going to cut you down. Sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. Anybody remember that song by Johnny Cash? Some of you are probably wishing that I didn't remember it, so I wouldn't have sung it and you had to endure it. But think about that. One day, he's going to cut you down. And then what's, uh, what's ironic about that video, if you watch it on YouTube, most of them are all sinners that they have, and they have a, about maybe 50 celebrities singing that song to Johnny Cash, giving him a, Johnny Cash giving him a tribute at the end of his life after he passed. And sadly, if they don't repent, most of them will be cut down. The truth is, God is coming to rule as king. So we learn that from the mother's request. That is awesome. The second thing that we learn is that the mother knew how to go to Jesus to ask for things in her children's life. How many know good parents need to do that? Jesus, can you help my boys? Jesus, can you help my children? Jesus, can you do something in their life? Jesus, would you help them have a brain again, Lord, because I don't know where it's at. Jesus, would you give them patience with each other before I got to send them to jail? Jesus, got to call the police on them. You know, She knew that Jesus could do something in her children's life. Now, did she take it too far? Too far? Of course she did. She should have just came and said, Jesus, can you make sure to keep these boys next to you? Give them wisdom. May they always live for you. Will you bless them and keep your eye on them if anything happens to me? Of course, Jesus would have said, I got your back. I'm going to do that for you. But she had to take it one step further. She's like, Jesus, when you get to your kingdom and then you're picking out who's the most important, can you put old brother, uh, my old son John right there and his old brother James right next to you? And then can they rule the kingdom with you? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. We're not going to do that. Let's go back to the notes, please. When we look at the passage, he says, you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink from the cup that I'm about ready to drink? When you think about the cup that Jesus is going to drink, this is not the cup of the communion. This is not the celebratory wine and, and, and celebration. This is the cup of suffering. How many remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Gethsemane while he was there in his struggle to submit his will as a man to the will of God, experiencing the same kind of struggle we would face, even sweating drops of blood? How many know he said, if there's another way that this cup can pass from me? How many know he said that? But nonetheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. So here the mother's like, you know what? I want my kids to rule with you. I want them to be large and in charge. And Jesus kind of stops right here and goes, you don't even know what you're asking. Because for these guys to get into heaven, to come where I'm coming, not that they're going to be saved by their good works, but they're going to have to have enough faith in what I do in their life. They're going to have to be willing to drink the cup of suffering that I'm going to drink. And then he says back to them, he says, you know, it's like, I'm not going to talk to your mama now, boys. I'm going to talk right to you. And he says, can you drink this cup? Can you drink what I'm about ready to drink? And I love what these two brothers said. They said, we can. And as he, uh, I don't know if you accidentally clicked on it. Was that an accident? That's okay. Would you now click on it? I'll show you how the disciples died. 
I have it in our notes, and you can study their lives. Andrew, the brother of Peter, was crucified. Simon, Peter as well, was crucified. We have Thomas was speared to death. We have uh, Jude, he was crucified. They loved to crucify people back then, right? I mean, that was a way of torturing people. Uh, another one named James was thrown off of a wall. Uh, Matthew was impaled in Ethiopia. I mean, they were just butchered and murdered. He literally said to them, you're going to be like sheep to the slaughter. And I know like us here, we don't understand what a slaughterhouse is. They understood exactly what that is. A lot of times people ask me, uh, you know, because I'm a fisherman, they go, you know, do you like to keep your fish? Well, the first thing is, man, I catch fish that are heavy and big, man, 20, 30, 40 pounds. I've caught shark as big as eight feet, over 150 pounds. My wife was with me in Tampa, caught a 350-foot grouper. I said, man, doing that and bringing that home, that's like a massacre, man. It is a bloody mess. If you haven't, if you haven't cleaned a fish about this big before, you you haven't seen guts yet. You haven't seen blood hit the floor. And so I tell them, I don't even mess with all that. I don't want to do that. I want to stay clean. I'll just let them go, little fishy. Now, if I get hungry enough, it's worth the work. But it is, I'm telling you this, it is a bloody mess. And when he said, I am sending you out like, sleep to, uh, like sheep to the slaughter, they got that, that revelation quickly. When, when sheep are getting slaughtered, the blood's on the floor, y'all. It's a mess. He says, that's how it's going to be for you. That's what it's going to be like for you. Are you sure you want to do this? And they said, yeah, we will. And John, the brother of James, is the only one who did not die a martyr's death, though they tried to boil him alive with oil in Rome. And when they saw that he was miraculously spared, as Jesus said he would do for some in Mark 16, being invincible even to things like poison and things like serpent's bites, he then was exiled onto an island all by himself, and there he got the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and then passed on. But his brother, which we see right here, was beheaded. They kept their word. They kept their word. Jesus said, you really want to rule with me? You got to be willing to die with me. There's a principle there, my friends. If you want to rule with Christ, you must die with Christ to yourself and to this world. If you want to be lifted up, you have to be willing to be struck down. If you want to be blessed by God, you have to be willing to be cursed by man. If you want to be favored and to be looked at as, as, as someone that God rewards, you have to be willing to lose things in the sight of man. Do you see it's kind of like an upside down kingdom? You see how that works? You get ridiculed in the world, but you get exalted by God. You see, the Bible says that each one of their deaths was precious in the sight of the Lord. It even says in Hebrews chapter 11 that the world was not worthy of them. They are our heroes. Let's go back to our passage. So they say boldly, we will. Now, of course, it's not going to be by their own strength. It's going to be by the strength of God. And then look at what Jesus says in verse 23. He said, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. So good try, guys, but uh, Jesus says, I'm not picking the seats. My Father is, and it's already been set up. Now, let's keep going in verse 24. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Now, there's one of two ways that I think they got mad. And I want you to guess which one you think I think it is. A, 
They got mad, these disciples, because they just thought James and John with their mom were so prideful to ask such a thing, and they were upset about that. Or B, they were upset because they hadn't thought of it first. Which one do you think I believe? I think the second one. I've been around dudes long enough. I've actually even been around my kids like this. Sometimes my kids will get a treat, and then the other one will come to me and say, how come I didn't get that treat? And I go, you didn't ask. Well, can I get it now? No, it's too late now. I'm going out to do something else. Oh, you guys feel sorry for my kids. Got quiet, but that's okay. They got to learn how to ask. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. I think they were more upset personally. That's just my belief. It's not there in black and white, so we don't know. But I believe personally they were a little jelly. Ma'am, I should have thought about that. I, I should have went and asked that. I'm upset about that now because we know they've already argued about who's the greatest. That's why I'm not giving them too much credit for thinking that they were just mad that James and John were so prideful. No, I think they just were upset they didn't think of that idea first and weren't smart enough to try to get their mom to do it on their behalf. Come on mom, go ask him. You go ask him, mom. He likes you. You know, because those women were around Jesus at that time, offering up their homes for the disciples to stay in. Imagine those sleepovers, Jesus in the 12. That would be amazing. And then they would cook food for them and take care of them. So he's like, he likes you. Go ask him. And now the disciples are mad. And look at verse 25. Jesus called them together. And he said this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and that their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Look at your neighbor and say, not so with you. Come on, look at your other neighbor and say, you're going to be different. Amen. Not so with us. We're going to be different. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? Your servant, thank you. And whoever wants to be first must be your what? Your slave. And the reason why I show you the Greek words are dikanos and doulos is because I want you to know both of those terms, the world tries to say that we supported, uh, you know, some type of African-American slave trade, and that's a devil's lie. Do not import what wicked people did at a certain time into the Bible time. In Bible time, both of those words were okay, and God actually says that's what we are to each other, and that is what we are to God. I am your servant. I am your slave. I am God's servant. I am God's slave. And how many know he's not treating me like Kuta Kinte in the color purple? How many know he treats me good as his servant and slave? How many know I treat you good as my servant and slave? You treat me good as your servant and slave. We are each other's servant and slaves. So it had nothing to do with race. At this time, it was so multicultural, you wouldn't have been able to tell who an Israelite was by the color of their skin. But I can almost guarantee you this, it didn't look like, uh, you know, Brad Pitt and, uh, you know, Brad Pitt being Jesus, being blonde hair and blue eyes, and then Mary looking like Britney Spears, Okay. We can almost guarantee people in the Middle East and Northern Africa pretty much look like people from the Middle East and Northern Africa today. And uh, a lot of false religions like to try to say, like Islam, that Christianity is a white person's religion. If you hear somebody say that, they're just telling you how stupid and uninformed they are, okay? So just look at them and go, oh, I pity the fool who believed that and taught you that. You calling me a fool? Yeah, if you believe that. Where I just showed you where they, where they got martyred, how, how they got martyred, it also shows where they went. They went to Ethiopia, and last time I checked, people in Ethiopia didn't look white and blonde hair and blue eyes. Hello, how many know that? Can I, can I get some amens from you here? Well, let's not be afraid to talk about cultural issues today. Uh, Moses, way back in those days, married an Ethiopian, and the people of Israel were enslaved 400 years in Egypt. 
You don't live out in the hot sun 400 years in Egypt and come out looking like Brad Pitt, okay? So I am light-skinned, and I appreciate that God likes me, but white don't make right, okay? So let's not make this a cultural thing. It had nothing to do with it except God's culture. The Jewish people were multi-ethnic from different nations all over the world, and so were the Christians, and the Christians were going to go out into the world and win them to Christ, and how were they going to do it? By being the Gentile-like ruler, and Gentile is a non-Jew. Were they going to do it like how Pharaoh was, was oppressing the people or how Caesar was oppressing the people or, or uh, uh, these different people like of, of the Aztec empires, etc.? No. We were going to go change the world by being the world's servant and slave. He said, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He becomes our servant, actually our slave. You say, how is that? Because he did the will of God that we could not do. He fulfilled what we couldn't. He served us. That doesn't mean we get to tell him what to do, and he's like, you know, our, 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 serv- our servant, our slave in that way. No, he was a servant and slave first to God, but what he did was serve us. He took the role of a servant. That's why when he goes down to wash Peter's feet, Peter says, man, you can't do that. Even in our culture, the, the, the servant girls do that. The, the least in the house do that. In their mind, that's who that person was. You can't do that. And Jesus is like, if I don't wash your feet, you don't even belong to me. If I don't serve you, if you don't see me in that role, then I'm not really your Lord and Savior. So first he does it for the glory of God, but he also does it to serve humanity. Does everybody see the cross twofold? Look at it, look at it as a cross, up and down, vertical. He is a slave to God. He is a servant to God. He is doing the will of God. Everybody get the cross? The first beam up and down. But then horizontal, what is he? He is a servant to mankind, stretching out his arm. He is a slave to mankind, not not doing the wickedness they want on demand, but serving them for the sake of the kingdom, opening up his life to receive all in. That is the cross, vertical and horizontal. It says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so if I could just share just a few moments here, some practical things about this in my life, what it's going to look like is you and I getting out of our comfort zones, crossing our cultures, and starting to serve people that we may not want to serve, loving people that we may not want to love, and doing what Jesus did for, for us, doing it for them. Because the Bible says he died for us, not when we were righteous, but while we were yet sinners. The Bible says Christ died for us. Hardly a righteous man will lay down his life for another righteous man. But the Bible says, who do you know that is righteous and will lay down their life for Jeffrey Dahmer? Who do you know that's righteous and lays down their life for Hitler? Who do you know that's righteous and lays down their life for their enemies? That's what Christ does. He lays down his life for us. And in the Bible story, we're not on his side. We're actually his enemies against him because of our sins. We've separated ourselves from him. So if he would do that for us, how much more so should we do that for others? I got saved at 18 years old, and I was a drug-dealing, pot-smoking criminal living a lascivious life that I'm not proud of, still bear the physical scars and mental scars of the memories which I never would have done. But when I got saved, God changed my heart, and he made me a servant. I didn't make myself a servant, I said. He made me a servant. Are you listening? I was driving pizzas at that time, 
And I said, I want to help out and do something. My church was offering nothing for the community. All they did was have church at that time. You want something? Come to church. You want prayer? Come to church. There was nothing outside of those doors at the church I was going to. But I had remembered at another church I had went to that at times during the holidays or whatever, they went out and fed the needy. So I went to the church that I was at, and I said, can I start feeding the needy? And they said, yes. They gave me no money. They gave me no pastor to help. They just said yes. And so I'll give you that yes right now. Whatever you want to do for God, go ahead and do it, okay? But we'll talk about doing more than just giving you a yes. But that's what they gave to me was a yes. That's all I needed. So no excuses, y'all. Are you listening? 18 years old with a yes, I could do that. I asked, where did you get the food from? They said, from the Fort Wayne Food Bank. I took the money that I was making and went to the food bank, and I remember it very clearly. I could get 10, for 10 cents, I could get one pound of food. 10 cents, one pound of food. One dollar would give me how many pounds of food? 10 pounds of food. I would go there weekly with $100 of the tips that I was making from driving pizzas. How much food would I stuff into my 90, uh, 85 Camry? 1,000 pounds. And then the pastor's son heard about it, and he said, that, that seems neat. I want to go with you. And we started going to the African-American community where it was low income. We were a bunch of white boys from the suburbs. When we first stepped out there, we were like, please don't shoot. Please don't hurt us. Just let us tell you first what we want to do. We were scared. We were weird. We were dumb. But I found out real quick that love knows no color, that love is patient. And they began to love us, and they were patient with us. And those who didn't need groceries, they would take us to the places that did. They would say, no, baby, I'm good. I don't need no groceries. But I know someone right over down the block that needs some groceries. Can I walk you over there? And they would walk us down and say, hey, we got some white boys here from the suburban church, and they're going to give us some food. Hey, girl, you're going to get it, and you're going to like it. Come on, let them in. And you, you might say to yourself, Pastor, how long have you been preaching with one of these? The first time I was ever handed one of these was when I was preaching in the projects of Eating Green at 18 years old in a house that was about 100 degrees. It was so hot in there in the middle of the summer. I was sweating as I was supposed to be doing a Bible study, but I turned it into a preach-a-thon for this one family, and they went and got a dishcloth from their, from their kitchen, and they said, Pastor, you need one of these. And from there, I've been preaching with one. You see, that day and from that point forward, I began to understand that it doesn't matter how much I know about that community, how much we agree on politics. It, none of that mattered. What mattered was God told me to go serve them. I went to go serve them. Then when by God's grace, and this isn't just so Joe gets a hand clap. Oh, he's the next Mother Teresa, the male version. Here he is, Joe, Teresa, whatever. No, this is not for this. I'm just telling you what God did in my life. Then a few months later, God calls me to New Orleans to start working in the projects there and in the French Quarter. And literally, I would go from one environment where they lived in sin this way to a whole nother environment where they lived in sin this way. Predominantly, those in the hood were African American. Predominantly, those on Bourbon Street were white middle class. Are you listening to me? They would get mad at me in the hood during the day for the kids' program because I didn't have enough toys to give out. I wasn't bringing enough groceries. They'd get upset. I would watch parents fight over where they got Cookie Crisp or uh, Captain Crunch, and they're fighting over it. And then I would go to the hood, and I was, uh, I mean, I would go to Bourbon Street, and then they would tell me I was not tolerant. They would try to spit on me, but I was called to serve them. And from both of those communities, we started a church. 
And we saw a man named Thorne get saved. His mom was a stripper. He hung out in front of the hideout where Courtney Love, Kurt Cobain, Trent Reznor for Nine Inch Nails, where all of that was popular in the 90s, this around 98, would go and score their heroin down there in New Orleans. This guy had tattoos all over his face and body. Like I said, his name was Thorne. How about that? When your mom names you Thorne, what do you think she thinks about you? You know, so she named her son Thorne. He was on drugs, crystal meth, heroin. That was popular there, probably still is. And the first time I met him, he mocked me. He cursed me out. But his friend listened to me. So I gave his friend my information. And then his friend got saved after listening to me and then turning on Christian TV because his interest was sparked. So he invites me over to his house for Halloween. I'm telling you, I'll never forget some of these stories. So I'm at his house for Halloween because he doesn't know how to live for Jesus. And he's just like, all I know during Halloween is to party and get drunk. Preacher, will you come over here and hang out with me? And at that time, I'm just about their age. They're probably in their late teens, early 20s. That's all I am. I think I'm 19 at this time. And so I go over to his house, but then guess who he invites over? Thorn. <laughs> you should have seen Thorn's face when he saw me at his friend's house. He was like, what are you doing here, preacher? You're not supposed to be here. It's party night. It's Halloween night. Thorn gave his heart to Jesus that night. Thorn and Danny became some of the first members of our church from Bourbon Street, from the French Quarter. Right there on Decatur, as, uh, precisely on Decatur. And then at the same time, we began to minister in the projects. Joe from the Calio. Where do you think Joe was from? Joe from the Calio. Where do you think Joe was from? Calio Projects, Master P, No Limit Soldiers. Joe from the Calio saw us coming out there. He started coming to the church. He was a good kid. And the streets were trying to pull him in. He hung out and around a lot of bad kids in that neighborhood. But he wanted to live for Jesus. He wanted to make that right decision. So we started doing our Bible studies together. And I asked him, I said, man, where are you doing your Bible study at? How is it going? You know, do you have any questions? And he says, it's good. I just don't understand much of it. And I don't really have much to ask uh, anyone to ask. My mom's on drugs. Boyfriend's coming in and out. My siblings are crazy. And I said, wow. And, and, and then he said, and I have to do it in the bathroom. And I said, man, why do you have to do it in the bathroom? He said, because it's not safe in my house to do this Bible study. Joe from the Calio graduated with honors from his high school, joined the military, became a high-ranking uh, soldier in the military. Now he works off, uh, off base on doing different things that he learned from the military. And when it was time for him to get married, he called me to Virginia to be his best man. Now he's married with three kids. From the projects to Bourbon Street, I've seen God do it. But you can't come there with the attitude, I'm better than you. See, a lot of times what happens is we who were oppressed, now when we get a jump on people, we're over them in authority, we now take advantage of it and become the oppressors. And I feel a lot for the African-American community and all that stuff that's going on, but I want to tell you what, they're starting to oppress me now. Because when I go out and preach on Chicago Avenue, sometime an African-American kid, he'll come up there and he'll say, what do you think about this and what do you think about that? And I'll say, dude, Jack, none of that even matters. I wasn't even here for any of that. But he'll want to blame it on me and put it on me and curse me out. I'm telling you, my oppression may not be a light, but every now and then you've got to feel sorry for a white boy. Okay, come on, just feel sorry for him. And then this is what I told one African-American gentleman last time because he was like, I'm from Africa and I'm proud of this and that. And then, and then I was like, that's great, but the Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female nor slave nor free. There's none, under, uh, none other than Christ, and in Christ we are all one. 
And then he was like, well, then where are you from? And I literally looked at him, and I'm sorry, my Italian brother, but I just looked at him, and I said, I don't even care where I'm from at this point. I'm blood-bought and blood-washed. That's all that matters. I don't even care. If you don't like Italy, if you don't like Poland, if you don't like America, I don't even care at this point in the conversation. Get your eyes on Jesus. And I was raised by African-American pastors uh, and, and Latino pastors that taught me to do that. So it's not that I'm not sensitive to the plight. My spiritual father is a Latino man. His name is uh, Brother Anthony Freeman. And one of the preachers that taught me how to preach, uh, Pastor Wade Sutherland, was from the south side, pastored in Texas. And now he's gone home to be with the Lord. I've never been to a more rejoicing funeral than his. It was a party. The moment I walked in, there, they were clapping hands, singing and shouting. And I said to my wife, that's how I'm going home to meet Jesus. Amen. Put on your dancing shoes. You know how sometimes you go into a grocery store and they'll be like, you know, like the rock. And he's holding like, like a can of beans. These are my beans. You know, and he's like flexing the guns, you know. How many of you ever seen those cardboard cutouts? You know what I'm talking about? Like a race car driver's got the beef jerky, you know, the snapping to a Slim Jim. Slim Jim, you know. This is what I want on the day I die. I want a cutout of me holding the Bible and a little thing, you know, coming out my mouth. Repent and know Jesus because I've already met him, you know. That's all that I want. That's all I ask. You guys can sing and dance. Look at the church here. Look at all that you have been served in, the children's ministry, the life group ministry. Have people opened up their homes to you here? Have people taken in your children? Have people opened up Wednesday nights for, you know, all of these things for your families to do? People are serving you. It's now time for you to serve others like Jesus. It's time for all of us to get a towel instead of a title. And let me just say this real quick because, you see, like I told you, I grew up in a suburban city, and, you know, a church was, you know, looked like a mall. How many have been to some big churches before? I mean, the church I went to had a fountain that would give any fountain a run for its money, like Bunkingham Fountain, you know. And I, it had the three crosses and the big fountain. I mean, it was, it was something you would want to have if you could, okay. It was really nice. And my dad, he always had a heart for the hurting. You know, a lot of times in big churches, not saying they're bad, and, you know, small churches have their issues too, but, you know, people can get forgotten. Well, my dad helped start a smaller church, had an African-American pastor over him, and you never thought twice about it. Hey, you love Jesus, you preach the word, you can be my pastor, that's fine. And I appreciate all of you guys who are from different backgrounds. Let your gringo pastor you, the white guy, that's awesome, right? Because that makes us feel like we're family, because you don't judge me based on this. I didn't have anything to do with this, but I have something to do with this, and I hope you see my heart up here, amen? Okay, because, I mean, asking me to change this is like asking you to change that. Let's just get over that and serve each other. So thank you for making this your church. So anyways, he's serving a great pastor. Sometimes people were hurting. It didn't matter what culture they were. Well, one day, uh, see, my dad liked to drive Cadillacs, and he just loved getting the biggest ones you could, like a Cadillac Sedan DeVille. And I used to love driving those things, you know, like this is big, and my dad would get the newest model and all that. Well, one day I came home and I asked my dad, I said, Dad, because I was from Bible home from Bible college, I said, Dad, where's the Cadillac? He said, Oh, somebody from the church needed it. I let them use it for a job interview. And I just thought to myself, Dad, I don't even let my roommate use my car. I've got like a 92 Saturn, whatever it was at that time, some old car. And I'm like, Dad, I don't even hand the keys to people like that. And you're giving them the Cadillac? Oh, my gosh. And, of course, my dad wasn't handing it to a homeless one-eyed Willie. This was a guy he knew that he was helping. But in my dad's heart, if he could help, he was going to help. And I began to realize that, you know what, sometimes helping will cost you something. 
We have a Good Samaritan page, and it's cool to give away the shoes you don't fit into anymore. It's cool to give away the clothes that you don't fit into anymore, but that's not the type of giving that I'm talking about. I'm talking about you taking off those Jordans you like right now and giving those to somebody. You get what I'm saying? There's a giving that costs you something, and there's this like, oh, I'm giving. But I'm talking there's like, I gave. Oh, Jesus, help me. Did I, did I hear from you? Was that El Diablo, you know? I'm telling you, we've given some vehicles to people here, and they've letting them get broke down, and they got to get them fixed. Let me point him out. Where is he at trying to hide back there, giving away vehicles? I'm like, man, my daughter would want that vehicle, but, man, you better take care of it. And here's the thing. Once we give, it's on them now. It's, it's their responsibility because you are called to serve. I am called to serve. We are not called to say, I'm drawing the line here and not serving you because of X, Y, and Z reasons. There may not be, uh, it may not be wise to serve you in certain ways. Like if you have a drug and alcohol problem, it may not be wise to give you my dad's Cadillac. How many know if you borrowed my dad's Cadillac, you have a drug and alcohol problem, he might not get it back, right? Just maybe a hubcap or something left over. But, but that's part of our excuse that we use to not serve everybody. And what I want to do is eliminate that. You may not be able to serve everybody, but you can serve somebody. You may not be able to do everything for the somebody you're serving, but you can serve them in some way. So if you did have a drug or alcohol problem, I should take my time and help you get to a rehab. I should make sure that while you're at that rehab, your bills are being taken care of or your family is being taken care of. Do you get what I'm saying? We're serving people. I said, do you get it? Come on, do you get it, yes or no? We have to become servants because what did Jesus do for us? He died on the cross. So it doesn't say he came to serve us by becoming a king. We hoisted up on our shoulders and said, he's a jolly good fellow. He, look at Jesus. He's a jolly. No, no, no. How did he come and serve? He let us crucify him. He let us spit on him. Remember I told you to highlight those things? Mock him, spit on him, uh, flog him. So if you and I get a little bit tired serving every now and then, Jesus says, now you know how I feel. You get a bridge burned every now and then, you're going to know how Jesus feels. You know, you know how many times I've tried to help people and then they don't appreciate it and they abuse it? But I'm not going to let that take away my heart to serve. Just for example, we're always in a church, always rotating. There's always between 10 to 20% of our church rotating. We're always growing, but there's an undercurrent of 10 to 20% that are coming and going, coming and going. Like literally, we could probably say September has been somebody's last month that's been at this church for a few years, and this was their last month. And so now I can look at the visitor who says, this is my first month, and I can look at them like I'm some scorned person on my first date and wanting to tell them all about my, my lovers that have hurt me. You know, instead of talking about the future on that first date, I could just be like, oh, man, so-and-so hurt me, so-and-so. I could be that as a pastor as I shake their hand and go, oh, man, well, I don't know how long you're going to last. I keep getting my heart broken. Every time I see one of you come around, you do it all over again. Right? I could be like that. I could be scorned. I could be bitter. Or I could be what? Better. And Jesus says, I'm going to serve. Jesus is still serving RuPaul right now. Jesus is still serving Ellen DeGeneres. Jesus is still serving Donald Trump. Jesus is still serving Hillary Clinton. All these people that I believe need to make a real change, uh, you know, a confession of their faith and a real change in their life by his grace, he is still serving them. Why aren't we? I told a story in the first service, maybe some of you guys heard about it, made the news. An African-American gentleman said, I know that the KKK members have got to have enough intelligence to understand we're one race. 
Something's got to be keeping them from understanding that. I'm willing to go serve them. You see, he could have just been a black panther and just returned the oppression right back. He could have been a gangbanger, shot up their hood or whatever. But he said, you know what? There's got to be a way to get through to them because when they draw our blood, they don't ask us if we're white or black or Latino. When we put there on, as an or, our organ donor, they don't ask us what culture we are, etc. It always works on the inside of our bodies, but not up here in our brain. So he said, I bet you I can change their minds. See, it's easy to hate a KKK person, right? They're going to hell. We know that. They're lost. But he said, I want to see them saved. I want to see them changed. Through his lifetime of reaching out to people in the KKK, he has brought out over 200 people. You see, it's real easy to go, you know, Belmont and Clark, that's where the bad folks are. Or, you know, this community over here. Or these gangbangers over here. Or these folks over here. That's easy. Anybody can do that. Or you can say, you know what, I want to go serve Belmont and Clark. I want to go serve Taft. When I was preaching at Taft this last Friday, these young people who have been coming every week meeting us out there with the gospel truck, they said when we're going to be gone, they're going to miss us because it's the favorite part of their school week. Literally, these two precious girls said that to me. They're telling us now their problems and their issues. Some of them have been to the church. And uh, as we were talking to them, I said to them, your school has been the nicest because you guys don't cuss us out as much. And she looked at me as if she finally got it. And I don't get many teenagers that get it. Even some in this church don't get it. She got it because the way she looked at me was like, that's right, I watched you get cussed out. You're a grown adult. You're bigger than most of these kids. You could crush them. I watch you take it, and I see you love us. And then you tell me that it's worse at the other schools, and yet you're joyful to go. Without her words saying it, I knew in her eyes she saw Jesus. She didn't have to point at me and go, Jesus, there's Jesus. But I knew she got it because at that moment, it clicked in her mind. Why else would these people be? Why else would a 42-year-old man take out of the church $15,000 lower a stage to be cursed at and to literally say, we're going to another school that's even harder than this one and do it with joy, with smiles? It's only God. I'm not telling you we, we should be everybody's doormat, but we need to be willing to serve people. Let's go to the last part of the scripture today of chapter 20. As the band comes, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder. Sounds like my kids. Can I hear an amen to that? The, loud, the quieter you tell them to be, the louder they're going to shout. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. I could also say that about marital spouts. How many know it's just any argument? When somebody's like, chill out, how many know that just gets you so mad? <laughs> I am chill. Don't tell me to chill out. <laughs> that is so me. Oh, I'm like trying to convince you I'm calm while I'm yelling. I love that about me. No, I don't. Half kid. Okay. So quiet, and he shouts louder. Praise God, he didn't give up. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? How many know Jesus never asks a question he doesn't know the answer to? He's not asking because he doesn't know. He's asking to see if they're willing to say. Jesus is not treating you like as if you're in his fish tank today. See, a fish, I don't have to ask them nothing. I just look, oh, the fish is hungry. Just put a little, you know, uh, little fish food in there. Look at the bird. It's hungry. Give a little bird food. Look at the dog. Put some more water in the, in, the, in the bowl. 
We're not Jesus' pets. Jesus literally looks at us and goes, yes, and? You've got my attention, and? He's waiting for you to talk. It wasn't until I opened my mouth and started talking to Jesus as an 18-year-old that I started to see the miracles come. We're not his pets. He gave us free will, and he told us to look to him as a father. And so he goes, okay, you've got my attention. What do you want me to do? They said, Lord, notice, that's what you have to do to be saved. Confess Jesus as Lord. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a doctor, a miracle worker of some kind doing magic tricks. They say, Lord, my God, that's another word for God, Lord, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and started following him. Can I just encourage you today, if you're here and you feel like you are blinded by something in your life, and it hurts, and you just want to see a way out, call on Jesus today. If you are here today and you are blinded by your anxiety, you are blinded by your worry, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And if you will call out, Jesus, I want to have a heart at peace. Lord, I want to stop worrying. The Bible says he'll open your eyes. If you're dealing today with the problems of this world, maybe you are oppressed, maybe you, you have your eyes on what's going on the border or with your people group and you feel like it's being unfair and all of that and you want to see hope like Martin Luther King Jr. saw. Put your heart to Jesus and say, God, open my eyes and give me hope to see a dream, to have a vision like you've given others. How many know Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream? God gave him eyes to see what others couldn't see. Children like this hanging out together. And that's awesome. We always got to remember, Jesus is there to heal. Jesus is there to stop. Jesus is there to help us. But if we take 17 at the part we started today and put it all together, in chapter 20, verse 17, he's talking about the cross. And then here he's doing kind of the work of the cross, helping people. Well, what's in between? A call for us to do the work of the cross, not trying to be kings next to Jesus, but being servants like Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Can you hear the cries of the blind in your life asking for help, and are you willing to do what Jesus did and touch their lives so that they can see? Are you willing now to be the answer to their cries for hope, for help, and for healing? The world doesn't have hope unless the Christian gives it to them. The world doesn't have a healing unless the Christian gives it to them. We have to go out and give it to them. Are you willing to do that at your high school? To hear the cries of the blind? Because they don't see what we see, do they? They don't see where eternity is going to be for them. They don't see how good God has been to us. It's our job to go into their lives and to ask them, will you believe in Jesus as Lord? Because if you do, you can see. You'll see like I see. And that's why I want to say this story in closing. Everybody who looks like you ain't you. And it's not you. you got to learn to see past the culture that you're used to identifying with and start to look at people's hearts. Martin Luther King Jr. said, we don't judge them by the skin, but by the content of their heart. Because some of you probably grew up like my, my wife did going to Taft. She said when she went to Taft, there was the Filipinos at one table talking about their cars and doing all these things. And then they had the, the, the Polish over here, 
you know, going to their dance clubs. And then over here you had the jocks, and then over here you had the Latinos, and over here, and everybody hung out with themselves. Sometimes you talk to somebody like my in-laws, and you go, how did you not learn English, you know, Greek? As, you know, they came from Greece. How did you not learn it? Well, they hung out with Greek people. They went to Greek restaurants. They, they only talked Greek. They never explored the other cultures. I remember taking my Greek mother-in-law to uh, Chili's, and she was looking at it like she was on planet Mars looking at some creature on her plate, poking at some burrito. Are you listening? You got to get out of that. You got to break free from that. So I was... Uh, down, down there preaching just last week, well, two weeks ago in Chicago and Rush, speaking to an African-American man. And as we were speaking, a group of mostly Anglo, middle-class, moody students walked by, and they start listening to me. I'm arguing with this guy because we get into debates out there. If it's respectable and going forward, we'll do it. And we're not agreeing, but it's going somewhat well and pleasant, and, and points are being made, and he actually likes us, and he's come out there a few times. And while the conversation's coming to a close, I point to the Moody students, because I'm pretty sure I know who they are, because we're right by their campus, and they normally look the same, okay? And they normally look like they don't fit where we're at, at that time of night, and there's a Chick-fil-A there, so they're just getting some food and going back. So I just made a quick guess, going, hey, are you guys Moody students? They go, yeah. And I go, great, so you guys are on the home team, you're with us, amen. And I just said it so quick to go, now does anybody else have questions, want to reach out to the sinners? And when I said, you guys are on the home team, you're with us, there was a, ah! there was a, a noise of rejection to what I said. It embarrassed me. It really, I don't get embarrassed much. I, I promise you I don't get embarrassed much. But I was embarrassed. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What did you think I said? I said, we're on the same team, Christians, right? And then they did it again. They go, no, no, not like you guys. And all of a sudden, I realized, like, they were judging me, like how the Gentiles do. Like, they thought I was some weird street preacher or something. I don't know. And now they were making sure to let everybody know, because we get the crowds around us at times. They were making sure to let everybody know, no, 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 we're not, no not like you. So then I said, well, I got time for you to get on the mic. I'll definitely give a spanking to a Moody student. Which one of you wants to come explain to me how we are not on the same team? This little kid came up there mumbling. I could have barely even understand him to even give him a spiritual spanking. I just rebuked him, and it wasn't even anything. I could hardly even, like I said, I could hardly understand it. He just, well, we were just saying we don't normally do it like this. And then I'm like, I can't even hear you. What are you saying? But you know what happened? This is amazing. The African-American sinner, a non-Christian, who says I'm a non-Christian, so I'm not like judging him. He, he grabbed the mic from that white boy. And he said, you don't know what you're talking about. These guys are doing great. I love coming out here. I've been talking to this preacher now for two weeks in a row, an hour at a time. He's teaching me things. He's not like everybody else. He's somebody I can learn from. i got to study to come here to talk to him. I literally said back to that student, I said, you should be ashamed of yourself. Sinners came to our defense to defend what we're doing here, but you wanted to be the Gentile with your suspenders hanging out and look down on me. The Bible says we should serve each other. So don't blame all the Moody students for that. There's 3,000 there. Oftentimes, like other Christians, when they see us, they'll go, Man, I'm with you guys. Amen. Keep preaching. But I just thought it was such an example. 
And then you know what the funniest thing was? I'm just being real. I mean, God is my witness. These guys who go out with me, the African-American goes right back on there, and he says, that's what I mean by white privilege, Pastor. They just think they own everything and all that. And I said, normally I don't agree with white privilege, but right there, I'll agree with you. That Moody student thought he was privileged to take on a pastor who himself is a Christian in front of everybody because he didn't agree with one thing he thought I said. I said, yeah, but it's not just white privilege. It's called pride, where we don't think we need to serve anymore, where we don't think we need to learn anymore, and when we're just above everybody else. Get a towel like Jesus, hit your knees and serve God's people and watch what he'll do in your life because that's what I want to do in this church. You want to join with me? Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. Come on, let's stand up, please. Thank you.